So this is, uh, believe it or not, this is our eighth message on the Holy Spirit. I, I, I am surprised by that. And I'm glad that we're getting to what I think a lot of folks were hoping we'd talk about right away. But so we're going to look at, at 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to look a little bit, start in 1 Corinthians 11, and then in, in into 12, and, and a little bit into 13. So we probably won't get it all covered tonight, but uh, this is this is what we're going to do. So I am now trying to get my, oops. So I have two mice. So if I end up looking like this, it means I'm looking at the other computer. And if I end up fumbling around, it means I'm trying to operate one of the computers with the wrong mouse. So that's just the technical stuff behind the scenes. <laughs> okay, so I've, got, I've, I've abbreviated my review, but Richard, you'll be glad to know I still have review. But the reviews are pretty important. So they are really, really abbreviated for those of you that have endured them for the past eight weeks. So in Genesis 1-2, we realize that the Holy Spirit was always, from the beginning, building a place for us and God to be together. And in Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God was moving on the surface of the waters. And the result of that was a world that man and God could walk together and rule in. In the Exodus passages, God was creating, the Holy Spirit was, was creating a meeting place for God and his people. And the summary of that over these verses is that the Lord called Bezalel, the son of Uri, filled him with his spirit. He's filled him with the spirit of God. And then Bezalel ended up crafting the uh, tabernacle, but most specifically also making that mercy seat. And the result there was a nation in which man and God could dwell together. And it, it crafted a kind of worship. But you remember God said, uh, I want you to build for me a tabernacle. And I will be with you there, and I will speak to you from that. And sure enough, he was, and that's what the mercy seat was significant for. Plus, just the precursor that that was to explaining the atoning work of Jesus. Patricia, do you have a question? Yeah, I do. Uh -huh. um, would you consider the Spirit of God to be the Spirit of wisdom? Because I've heard and read in writings that wisdom was with Yahweh when he was creating uh, in Genesis 1? What would you say about that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't know that there is another. There's no question in my mind that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is a spirit of wisdom. Uh, but in the same way, Jesus became for us the wisdom of God and the power of God. And so I, I, I think it would be perfectly suitable to believe that, to say that. Do I think there's a possibility of that uh, wisdom that was spoken of and personified by that woman in Proverbs being another entity, another creature? Or is that does that have to be only a reference to the Holy Spirit? I'm not sure about that. Same thing goes with the idea of the seven spirits of God and the reference to Jesus being anointed or the branch of Jesse being anointed in Elijah in uh, yeah in Isaiah's passage there I don't I don't I don't have an exclusive thought but I don't believe that there's any sense of a violation in thinking about the fact that the the Holy Spirit is 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 and becomes and gives wisdom so I'm pretty sure that that's the case certainly he was filling um you're, you're, uh, he was filling Bezalel with that kind of wisdom. Then we jumped up and we realized that in the same sort of creative mode with the same objective, which is creating uh, togetherness with God and man, union with God and man, 
uh, it was the bat, the uh, birth of Jesus. And that reads like his mother, Mary, been betrothed to Joseph, and she was found with child by the Holy Spirit. And the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. So the fruit of that work was also God being with us. The result of that was the eternal union of God and humanity. And I've got a little thing popping up on my screen that I've got to try to get rid of. So this is one of those times I'll be looking away. All right. So then we realized that the Holy Spirit was not just engaged in the, in the birthing of Jesus or the, the creation of, of the incarnation, but he immediately began working in Jesus' life, engaging darkness and slavery to sin. And so uh, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit, and then the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So the result there was that the, the Holy Spirit facilitated a clash with darkness and the ensuing victory of the kingdom of God. Once again, the kingdom of God is near you, is in you, it's at hand, uh, creating a union between us and God. And th this is probably the biggest thing I learned in studying and teaching about this for the last eight weeks is just how consistently the theme of God with us, God being with us, us being with God, God in our midst, uh, um, us together in him and so on, how consistently that characterized the work of the Holy Spirit. The next instance that we looked at, uh, I believe it was you know, um, two weeks ago, was there in Acts, in the Father's promise of power, the presence of the Holy Spirit actually created the church. And it's one of those suddenlies. And suddenly, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the result of that outpouring, that work of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or the baptism with it, the immersion into the Holy Spirit, the result of that was creating and empowering the church to the glory of the Father. And there's a lot of work going on there, more than just the baptism of the 120. Because if you remember the people outside that were challenging what was going on, what they heard, they heard the God being glorified in their own language. And so the Holy Spirit was working on not just the, the ones in the upper room, but he was working on all the people around there, which lines up with what Peter said when he, he preached that first message, that this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. So the work of the Holy Spirit was a broad uh, scope work. And then we looked uh, at Jesus being our teacher and being with us so that we can receive all the Father gives. And a lot of what the Father gives is personified, like personified in Jesus and personified in, uh, in relationship. Uh, John 14, 20, you know, uh, mine and Tim's favorite verse, in that day you'll know I'm in my Father. You're in me, and I, uh, uh, I'm in you. Well, the realization of that, 1420 comes just two or three verses after he says, uh, I'll ask the Father, and he'll send you another helper, and I won't leave you as an orphan. I'll come to you. So there's all this personal togetherness, this personal oneness that, again, characterizes the work of the Holy Spirit. And the result of that is that everything the Father has given us is real to us and can be real to the world. So. Tonight, we're going to look uh, at, at the um, passages that are most traditionally thought of in my uh, theological and biblical church history, and that's in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the gifts of the Spirit. So the first, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit became uh, almost inseparably linked to our understanding of the gifts of the Spirit, 
And to talk about the Holy Spirit was literally to talk about the, the gifts, uh, more than it was to talk about the other sort of transforming qualities and so on. So we're going to look a little bit at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in that, Paul talks about the Lord's Supper and communion, and, but he specifically talks about it as a way to counter divisions among the Corinthians. And you'll, it'll make sense why I'm sharing these, the thought behind these four chapters. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the purpose and nature of the spiritual stuff, things, gifts, and ministries, endowments uh, in and out of the Holy Spirit, but also that deals a lot with judgment and division, and uh, I think it's going to be kind of significant. Immediately, of course, chapter 12, the last verse is, let me show you a more excellent way, and Paul begins to talk about uh, chapter 13 in the love chapter, uh, and there's also uh, stuff about gifts in that chapter. And we're only going to touch the first little verse or two in there uh, tonight if we get through it. And then chapter 14 is connected with all this. And chapter 14 is how love and spiritual realities like gifts, ministries, endowments, ministries, and so on, how those are practically applied in the church and in the, in the body life of the church, how they're supposed to be. And so that talks about bringing tongues and prophesying and desiring, uh, you know, greater spiritual gifts and stuff like that. So, We've still got, I know it's been eight weeks, but we've still got at least a couple or or maybe three counting tonight uh, looks at these particular chapters to get to the practical application, the practical reality of what it is we're doing. So and in, in, in the spirit. So I want to suggest just a thought to keep in the back of your mind. And this is a thought that is kind of newly emphasized in a powerful way for me. Uh, it's not that I haven't had Holy Spirit doctrine and thought and interaction for a long, long time, but I really do believe it's not overstating it to say that the Holy Spirit is the divine presence today in this era in the body of Christ. Uh, and I don't think that takes anything away from Jesus saying, you know, living in our heart or the Father being with us or us being his children. I just think that that it's possible that some of us uh, theologically and doctrinally have overlooked the significance of the actual divine presence, the divine person of the Holy Spirit as God with us as Emmanuel in the body. So we'll get into that and see maybe after the next couple of weeks, we'll be able to answer if that is a proper assumption or not. So we're going to start with a little chapter. Uh, a little look at a, the chapter in First Corinthians chapter 11. This is about communion and stuff. But I, wanna, I want to keep in mind in, in, in that, let me back up just for a second. Let's see here. I just want you to see that there's an unbroken succession through these four chapters. Keep that in mind. And I want you to ask yourself, like I've asked myself, when I study about love, do I separate it out? from the chapter preceding it and following it about gifts and about ministry and about uh, church and so on and so forth. Uh, or if I'm studying in chapter 12 about the spiritual gifts, do I have a tendency to separate those from our covenant, the communion covenant we have with the Lord uh, that's spoken of in Hebrews, but also spoken of in chapter 11? Uh, do I separate it from the love chapter, which would be a big mistake, you know? And so, Anyway, if you're like me, I've probably looked at these sections more in isolation and less in, in union and connectedness, and I think I've missed some stuff that I'm going to try to point out tonight. So anyhow, 
That's the reason for that. So here's why, what we're starting with. And let me just read this to you. Uh, this is from 1 Corinthians 11, 27-32. And I, tonight, for the going through the scripture, last week I used the numeric standard and went through Romans because I was fine with this being familiar with it. I, I'm using uh, the New Testament by David Bentley Hart tonight just because his, his phraseology is a little different, partly, and it'll help us think freshly about it. And also because he is pretty devoted to uh, translating things in a direct way so that you don't add a lot of words for clarity's sake, like the numerical standard has tendency to do. Uh, and so it does leave some kind of awkward grammar and some unfamiliar word structure, but I think that'll help us think tonight. Uh, I, I do have one little bone to pick with him uh, from a translation choice, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So uh, in, this is an excerpt out of uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Thus, whoever eats the loaf or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily will be answerable for the Lord's body and blood. But let a man prove himself and so eat of the loaf and drink the cup. For the one who eats and drinks while not discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Thus, among you, many are weak and infirmed and considerable number have fallen asleep. But if we examine ourselves, we should not be judged. But in being judged by the Lord, we are corrected by the Lord, so that we might not have a verdict passed upon us along with the cosmos. Uh, New American Standard says so that we might not be condemned along with the cosmos. Here's, here's what I want us to think about when we look at this verse. And I'm going to go into a little bit of detail about it. But I know that I labored under the question, how do I participate worthily? And it was so easy to let that slip into, well, you know, you've got to confess your sins before this, or you have to do it honestly, or maybe if you are sinning, you can't afford to take communion that week or something silly like that. That is totally not the point. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. So, but based on, on this being one of the preceding contexts for chapter 12. Now we're going to look at the next verse in chapter 12. Oop, wrong Moss. There we go. That was me being a dummy. Okay. So first Corinthians chapter 12 starts like this. Now, brothers, as regarding spiritual things, I do not intend you to be ignorant. And, and uh, Hart talks about spiritual things because he, he the, the real thing in there is called spirituals and there's not a, a qualifier. So we're not just talking about spiritual gifts. We're talking about a broader category of things. So now brothers as regarding spiritual things. I do not intend you to be ignorant. You know, that when you were Gentiles in whatever way you were led, you were being guided away to voiceless idols. Hence, I am letting you know that no one speaking in God's spirit says Jesus is a curse and no one's able to say Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy spirit. And we talked about that last week and Dan and I had a good back and forth about how, you know, you can you can try to prove that it's not possible by maybe forcing somebody to say Jesus is Lord and see if they can, or that isn't a believer or whatever. That's not really the point, I don't think. But the idea of believing that the Holy Spirit is actively engaged in the ability that you and I have to say Jesus is Lord is the central point that we kind of touched on last week. And Dan, if you have any other corrections, just throw your hand up and we'll do it. But here's some things that I want to, wrong mouse again. So here's some of the stuff I wanted to point out. This idea of letting a man prove himself uh, and so eat the loaf and drink the cup. It's not a matter of uh, a personal worthiness or a, a, a certain level of sinless walking that goes on. Here's what it says. Verse 29, for the one who eats and drinks while not discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. 
So it's not about your personal thing and being judged for your own thing. It's about not discerning, not having in your mind the body of Christ. And then that really is going to become important down here because the spiritual gifts are designed to create unity and not to create division. And we're going to see that we might have missed that boat. And of course, the other thing that I want to keep in mind is the thing we've learned about the motives of the Holy Spirit all along, that when the Spirit is doing a work, the fruit of that work is a way, a place, an opportunity, a culture, a relationship where God and man can be together as one. It's always been that way from creation to the, Israel, uh, the formation of Israel and their worship to Jesus union, everything. So um, the other thing I just wanted to point out to sow in you guys' hearts is verse 32. It's really pretty powerful, but in being judged by the Lord, we are corrected by the Lord. So I would encourage you to kind of cast away the thoughts of, of condemnation in association with what's being spoken of here in judgment. Uh, and again, the, the issue is, is correction. And, uh, so anyway, we'll get to that later. Now, as we're jumping into 1 Corinthians 12, as regards to spiritual things, I do not intend you to be ignorant. So again, I, I wanted to point out, Paul's talking about more than just what we would normally think of as gifts. He's talking about the uh, uh, the whole sort of penalty of spiritual things that are ours from God. And if you remember back to our study last week, the Spirit's work is so that we can freely receive everything that God's given us. And I know that one of the desires when we first talked about getting into this study about the Holy Spirit, one of the big desires is that if there's anything that God has given us that the Holy Spirit wants to make happen in our lives, in our church, in our ministry, in our families, and we're just either dull to it or indifferent to it or not aware that it's possible, that's what we want to change. So uh, that's why we're here studying. So anyway, in regard to spiritual things, I do not intend you to be ignorant. Uh, and then he, he pointed out that when, when we were Gentiles, we were constantly being guided away to the voice of idols. Uh, hence, I'm letting you know that no one's speaking. So the point of, of 1 Corinthians 12 is not just an articulation of gifts. It's that we not go astray. It's, it's God fathering us. It's the Holy Spirit leading us into all truth. It's, the, it's Jesus being the good shepherd to us. So I don't know if anybody, if any of us have ever thought about spiritual gifts being that act of fathering that act of giving, that act of leading into truth. But I really think that, that it is. And the truth that it's leading into is obviously going to, it can be a lot of different things, but it's obviously going to have a component in it of our oneness with God, our, our being in him, him and us, all that kind of stuff. So as we move on, and, I, and I've just got all the verses in the chapter covered, uh, this is the part where most everybody hovers around when they're talking about the gifts. And I did, I am going to do some exegesis in here. As a matter of fact, the next slide will probably make you um, dizzy or something when you see it, but I'll just read it. It says, now there are differences in the graces bestowed, but the same spirit. And there are differences of ministries and the same Lord. And there are differences of operations and the same God who makes active all things in all persons but to each is given the Spirit's manifestation for some benefit. 
So just briefly before I get to the next section where I outline a bunch of this stuff, here's what I meant when I said that when Paul talks about these things as spirituals, he's not just talking about what we normally characterize as gifts. He's talking about all kinds of stuff. So there's graces that are bestowed. There's ministries that are given out. There are operations uh, that God puts in there, but to each one, the spirit manifestation. And, And think about that phrase is given the spirit's manifestation. So when you, exercise a spiritual gift, or I exercise a spiritual gift, or if you exercise a ministry position, you are doing something that is a literal manifestation of the Spirit. So Dan, when you teach, it is a manifestation of the Spirit. Now, in light of the conversation we had last week, we could say, well, does that mean that a person can't get up and teach the scripture and it not be a manifestation, just like you can maybe say Jesus is Lord and it not be. I don't know if that's not the point I'm trying to make. What I'm trying to make is that when our heart is led by the spirit and when, when our desire is to do what the spirit's saying, when somebody functions as a teacher, the spirit is manifest. When somebody functions as a prophet, the spirit is manifest. When somebody's speaking in tongues, the spirit is manifest. And this is a big deal. It's, it's a big deal in the kingdom. It's a big deal. Because like Jesus said, when I cast out a, 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 a demon by the finger of God or the spirit of God, then, then the kingdom has come upon you. And so I think I've underestimated the reality that when I teach under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and, and I don't even know if I have to categorize it into where okay, so that was teaching under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and this wasn't. I think the Lord's with us in our heart, with us in the fulfillment of our calling. And so when, when any of us on, on the call here, in, in anybody in, in our fellowship, when we're doing what we're doing, because the Lord has led us, when we're giving ourselves, whether that's sitting in a restaurant, ministering to a, a server, or whether it's praying for somebody, or whether it's standing up and teaching, or this is why I think it's so important that we have questions and stuff like that in, in our culture and discussion groups like we do on Tuesday and, and other things that we do, because I believe that there is a manifestation of, of the spirit. And if I go back to what I said earlier, that the spirit is the divine presence in our relationship right now, the spirit is Jesus manifest with us is the father manifest with us. is the father, the spirit of the father, the spirit of the son, then Our participation in the kingdom, our engagement with the kingdom is happening when these gifts and graces are happening in our lives. So anyway, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, For to one, a word of wisdom is given by the spirit. Another word of knowledge is the same. I'm going to break the rest of this down in some detail because there's some interesting things in there. Okay, so the first one I want you to see is what I got highlighted in the kind of gold color up on the top. There are differences in graces bestowed, ministries and operations. So just let David Bentley Hart's translation of these things, let it trigger your mind to wander into what these things might be. And I don't want us to just be locked into whatever it said in King James or whatever it said in someplace else. Uh, It's not that those words that are translated there are wrong, but this is a kind of close, simple, literal translation that isn't theologically driven. Uh, So when you start thinking of graces being bestowed, you're talking about the benevolence in God's heart being put on people. 
when you're talk, talking about ministries, you, you know, you could very well be talking about praying for the sick. You could be talking about giving. You could be talking about helps. You could be talking about teaching and pastoring and all those kind of things. Uh, so there's a, there's a broader scope is what I'm saying to these gifts. There's a broader scope to this concept. And then differences of operations. Gosh, what is that? Uh, uh, you know, power, miracles, tongues, interpretation, healings, helps, just a lot of different stuff. And, and in a minute, we're going to see that there's, there's an all component to this where God is doing this to everybody. And, um, and, and we'll have to look at that in detail. Okay, so then it goes on, but it's the same God who makes active all things in all persons. So that's another thing. I think that if we take this look fresh, you have every right and every reason to believe that the Holy Spirit, a manifestation or multiple manifestations of the Holy Spirit does in fact come through you. Comes through you because that's how God works. It comes through you because that's God with us. And that's not to... That's not to, to rattle the ways that you're comfortable doing it, you know, because like some people are very comfortable in prophecy. Some are very comfortable in tongues. Some are very comfortable praying for the sick. Go for it. Some are very comfortable. I know I'm comfortable in a teaching gift, uh, but I, but I, I, I want to be shaken out of my comfort zone a little bit so that my expectations can go up and, and be a little bit broader. But it's God who makes active all things in all persons. But so there's, there's a sense that all of us have access to these things, but each is given the Spirit's manifestation for some benefit. I thought this was an interesting word. Sum Pharaoh is, it, it emphasizes a collective or to collect or to bear together, and it creates mutual profit. So uh, David Bentley Hart translates some benefits. Uh, others have translated profitable, but it's the first indication after these alls that what the Holy Spirit is doing is for everybody. And it's for everybody so that we are drawn together and dependent, interdependent on one another. And, and if I had to um, if I had to go back and kind of cast a little bit of a cast a little bit of a bummer on my own background, I know that that there was a large season where as I contemplated the gifts of the spirit and was taught about the gifts of the spirit. They were more to create a distinctive and to separate me from other people than they were to make me a part of the group. Uh, as a matter of fact, speaking in tongues as evidence of the baptism of the Holy spirit in the assemblies of God is called a distinctive. It's, 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 it, it, that's what it's called. And as we keep reading down here, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit is not trying to create spiritual superstars. He's not trying to create a pecking order in the church where you have this gift and that puts you at this level and you have this gift and that puts you at this level. And he's certainly not trying to create a thing where there's a bunch of spectators who are interdependent on the superstars to have a relationship with God. The Holy Spirit, these gifts and the administration of them, the, the, the sharing them as is appropriate, is to create interdependence, to create union. And everybody here is important in that, in that setting. So let, let me just keep going a little bit. So that's what's uh, Sumfero, that's the sort of word that that prophet comes from. 
For the one, uh, word is wi wisdom is given by, and you'll notice on the screen, I hope you guys can see it. I, I highlighted by and by the way, a couple of times because there's, uh, it's, this is my only bone to pick with David Bentley Hart's translation is there were three or so different words that were translated all the same way. And I find that to be a bummer uh, because I think we lose some insight into it, but I, I understand why he did it and it's not wrong. I'm not saying that, but so let's just go through those real quick. For the one, a word of wisdom is given by the spirit. Now that word is dia and that most generally does mean from or by uh, the actual word in new Testament, 1223 dia denotes the, the channel of an act. That's why by makes sense, but it also means after, and it also has a component that means among. So I think what's going to merge out of here is that there is more intimacy manifesting through these gifts and through these administrations than we give them credit for when all we think about is the Holy Spirit is out here and he gives a gift. The Holy Spirit's out here and he gives gifts. So no, the Holy Spirit is a channel through whom that gift comes into another person. And we'll look at the words Alice in a minute, but I want to keep going. So uh, to another, a word of knowledge by the way, and uh, or, or, uh, by way of the spirit, the same spirit. Now that word is not the uh, dia. It is the one we looked at last week, kata, and it means down from and in ending up in the midst of, and the translation is according to, and there's, there's another use here in this chapter of according to, but it, it has to do with the Holy Spirit being the source, but also being in the midst of. And so when somebody in this instance, if you were translated with that in mind, when somebody has a word of knowledge, it is a testimony, a manifestation that the Holy Spirit is in the midst of them. And again, it speaks to union. It speaks to union. It speaks to relationship. Uh, to another, faith by, and here's where there's another big change in the word by that's translated by. And this is the word ain, which is just a simple Greek word that almost always means in or a derivative of in. And I know it's translated a bunch of different ways. It means denoting a fixed position in place or time. It means in, you know, in, in, in. There's water in this mug. I'm sitting in this chair. It drives me nuts that this word gets translated by and all kinds of other ways. And most of the time, if you go back and read it and you just plug in into where Ain is in the scripture, it just almost is intimidatingly intimate. It means that God is in you. It means you're in God. It means that God is in the midst of an assembly. It means that God is in a place or that we're in God with, anyway. So there are three or four instances here. It, it, uh, it talks about faith uh, in the same spirit. It talks about graces for healings in the same spirit. And uh, there's, I think, one or two other places throughout the chapter. So let your imagination and your expectation run toward the actual presence of the Holy Spirit when you're praying, when you're praying in tongues, when you're doing all this kind of stuff. Um, does that make sense? All right. Uh, so there's these, uh, these other uh, last several gifts. 
Um, and I just want to recite them the way he talked about them. Uh, Larry? And then, uh, yes. In, in, are you saying that the, the, the buys that David Bentley Hart interpreted as um, anything but uh, the E-N buy? Is that where you're kind of like picking at him? Just a little bit. In other words, I don't understand why. I mean, I, I sort of understand it, but I don't understand why there wouldn't have been something to be gained by, right. by being able to translate by in the word of wisdom. So in other words, what was Paul saying when he chose these different words? For to one, a word of wisdom is given by the Holy Spirit. Okay, got it. A word right. of knowledge with the Holy Spirit actually present would have been the, uh, the kind of translation that would have given full reading to Kata, and then to another faith in the same spirit. Well, that mm -hmm. says something. And to another, graces and healings in the same spirit. That says something. And to another, realizations of deeds and power, and to another, and to another. So yeah, that's all I was just saying is, okay. I think that, that Paul here is, is painting a picture with these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of greater intimacy than if it's just like the Holy Spirit is standing out here at a distance and everything is being right. given as a gift. Right. Okay. That I just need a clarification of that in my head here. Thanks. Okay. All right. Dan or Becky. Yeah. I was just going to say all this stuff about in the spirit and mutual benefit and all that kind of stuff. This is where it contrasts with uh, the communion part. Because if you go back to a little further back in the context of communion, that's where the rich people are eating first, getting drunk, passing out, and then you wait for the servants to show up that are Christians, and then they get the leftovers, if anything, and then you get into the gifts, and everything in here is a reminder of, this is for mutual benefit for us as a body. It's almost a repudiation of that division they had a class division and a personal division where there really is not a, an understanding or respect of the functioning of the body. It's just people coming there and doing their thing. And then this chapter, he's basically, I mean, it's really a rebuke in some level of saying, this is the purpose of the spirit. And this is the purpose of the body. Yeah. In the next section, Dan, that is going to become so, so clear, but you've nailed it. Uh, and, and, and what we lose, what we lose, I think, is we lose how revolutionary the gospel is. It's not just something to clean us up and make life easier. It's something that changes the whole way the world has forced us to live. It changes the whole big lie about uh, us not having value, about other people not having value. It, it changes the motivation that is so built into the culture around us in the cosmos, in the world, to judge one another and to divide and to separate and to pigeonhole. And so when I reflected back on how, in my Pentecostal roots, we actually sort of used this very chapter in isolation to do that exact thing, right. to judge ourselves as having more than someone else and to separate from them or other people who think all this stuff's of the devil to judge us and cast us off. And, you know, but yeah, you're right. It's uh, there's, there's stuff. And that makes, that makes this feel more like the ongoing 
methodology of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because you couldn't have two entities more different that the Holy Spirit brought union than man and God. You couldn't have a nation more in rebellion than Israel that the Holy Spirit built a place where God could be in the midst of them. I mean, they said, hey, we don't want to do this. And he did it anyway. You couldn't have two natures more different than the ones that were were um, created that hypostatic union in Jesus. The Holy Spirit's about bringing union all over the place. That's a great observation. So it's the same one in the same spirit doing all this kind of stuff. And then the only other thing that uh, that I wanted to point out is, and I don't really even know the full import of this, but another is used several times in here uh, to, to another a word of knowledge. That's the word alos. And then I'll come back and talk about it in just a second. But then in verse nine, it says another, and, they, and Paul uses the word heteros. And then the other two or three places, three places where it follows, it's all alos again, another in realization, deeds of power, another in prophecy, another in I don't really know what I think the significance of this is, is again, though, I think it, it is dynamically speaking of the connection and the diversity and the union that's going on because the word alos means another numerically, but of the exact same order. And so it's the same word that Jesus used when he said, uh, I'll ask the father and he'll send another helper. It's, it, it's one that is distinct from me, but it is like me. And then the word heteros is distinct from me by virtue of being different. So like a heterosexual uh, couple, they're, they're both people, but one of them is a male and one of them is a female. They're different. So there's something about the distribution of these gifts where they're given out to us as if we're the same, but there's a recognition also, especially in this area of faith, where we're different. I don't know what it means, but it's something for us to just kind of sow in our heart and let the Lord bring revelation. So the next series of verses get into just what you said, Dan. For just as the body is one and has many members, yet all the members, while being many, are one body, so also the anointed. And that's what that's the phrase that David Bentley Hart uses for the Christ, is the anointed. For indeed, by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Judeans or Greeks, whether slaves or freemen, and all of us were given one spirit to drink. For indeed, the body is not single member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, it is not for this reason, not of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, it is not for this reason, not a part of the body. If the whole body is an eye, where is the hearing? If the whole body is hearing, where is the scenting? But now God has situated the members of each of them in the body as he has willed. That's an important line. You and I are positioned in our unique place in the body as God is pleased to do so, as he sees is good to do so. And if we were all one member, we're the body. Yet now, in fact, many members, but one body. So just a couple of things I want to point out in this one. So the body is one and has many members, and yet all the members, while many, are one body. So also is the anointed. We are the product of that same bringing together of these incredible diversities in Christ. And so are we. So I I think this could mean, you know, that we're each gifted differently, that we each have different cultural aspects and so on. But I also think it could mean that we are also, as we are reunited with Christ, 
and reunited in the kingdom, that we are also this incredible merger of soul and spirit. We are an incredible merger of the physical as well. And we need to give that more credit. And many, many of the gifts, if you start thinking about it in that term of creating and sustaining this union in the kingdom between God and man, between spiritual and natural, um, many of the gifts do that. I mean, gifts of healings are for the body. You know, wisdom is for the mind. There's just different elements of it. So I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that. Um, And just get stuck on saying, oh, wow, I want this one gift. Okay, so uh, for indeed, by, and that's in, or in, and I think that's very significant here. In one spirit, we all were baptized. And then this is a, a word that I consider to be correctly translated uh, into, ace, into one body. So let me just read it as if the translations of the in and the ace were the way I thought they should be. For indeed, in one spirit, together as one, in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. So our union is not does not start with us being a part of the body of Christ. It starts with our union in the spirit in Jesus. And it's that union that is the measure of union that takes us into the creation as the body of Christ. That's why I emphasize that one. Whether Judeans or Greeks, whether slaves or freemen, and all of us were given one spirit to drink. And you can see down where this verse right here is Paul continuing to repudiate that problem that he challenged the, the Corinthians in in chapter 11? You're absolutely right. Um, for indeed, the body is not us. Uh, oh, and we were all given one spirit to drink. And so the verse that that, that reminded me of, I've got up here on my screen, it's in John 7, 37. It says, now on the last day, great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the spirit whom those who believed in him had not or were to receive for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And I butchered that. Let me read it again. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let me explain why I think that's important. One of the temptations when talking about spiritual gifts and power and things like that, and and why not? Because it'd be, it's amazing to be able to prophesy. It's amazing to be able to heal the sick. It's amazing to be able to speak in tongues. But believing in the gifts as the starting point of your, your belief, the focal point of your belief is, is not the point here. Neither is literally believing in the spirit or the spirit's giving of the gifts. What it says there in John is if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And so what I want us to see about what Paul's teaching about these gifts here is that they are a testimony not to our spirituality, not to our Pentecostalism, not to our belief in prophecy or tongues or whatever. The very act of those things as a manifestation of the Spirit is, in fact, a testimony to our belief in Jesus. And that is what the kingdom is about. That is the basis for evangelism, believing in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is all about you and I and everybody around us 
believing in Jesus. So I just wanted to get that straight in our heads as we, as we think about this, because I want us to pursue these things with a vengeance, but I want you to know that it's not having to lay aside anything about your passion for Jesus. It is your passion for Jesus that invites the Holy Spirit to manifest in the things that we're doing. And one reason, perhaps, that sometimes these gifts seem a little elusive to the church is because Jesus is kind of left out of the picture, and they're pursued as if they were badges of spirituality or courage or something on their own. So I just hope we can avoid that. For indeed, the body is not a single member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not the body. And of course, we know this is not true. And the other thing that's interesting here is, is I think we can see that Paul's pointing out just because you make a declaration about your own not belonging, that doesn't make it true. Now, I don't say that it's okay to make those declarations because they hurt us emotionally and they are just false. But this is not a work based on me holding on for dear life, believing it. This is a work that God has done and we should believe it because it aligns us with the truth. So I'm not encouraging us to, to, you know, buy into this, but he just basically says, because I am not an eye, it doesn't for that reason stop becoming a part of the body. We live in a much more secure relationship based on the love of God, what Jesus has done in the Holy Spirit in our midst. And then he goes on just to point out, if the whole body's an eye, where's the hearing? If the whole body's not, God has situated each of us, each one of them, in the body as he willed. And so that means there's a place for the Peters and the Pauls. There's a place for the outgoing ones and the quiet ones. There's a place for the intercessors and tongues and the interpreters. There's a place for all this stuff. Not just a place, but an interactive place where we need each other to complete to completely represent Jesus. We just, we, we have to have that. So anyway, that was that page. Wrong mouse again. So as it goes on, it says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. So the, the section last time was us and our own self-depreciation under evaluation of our value. And in the same way, we can't turn to one another and say, I don't need you. This is a tragedy when, cessationist church groups say, we don't want to have anything to do with those tongue speakers. You know, it's just not ours to make the call. It's the Holy spirit. He's the one that gives these gifts as he wills. And, uh, and if we'll pursue him to represent Jesus so that we can represent Jesus to the people around us, I think that we'll have access to these things in a powerful way. Anyway, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you rather much more necessary are the members of the body that seem weaker. And those that we think less honorable to the body, we wrap about in more than abundant, more abundant honor and our unseemly parts wear a more abundant decorum. But our presentable parts have no need. Rather, God assembled the body, giving more abundant honor to that which is in want, so that there be no division in the body. We're going to get to that in just a second. But that instead, the members have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members go suffer. If the members glorified, members are glorified. Let's look at what is, is on there. God is the one that assembled the body this way. The idea of, of uh, the weakest among us, the idea of the quiet ones among us, the idea of the ones that don't seem necessarily to have the flashiest or the most uh, aggressive ministry worked out, there's something to honoring people. 
that's why I love the idea of people being able to ask questions uh, and, and, and make suggestions. Do it. Do it. Come up and do it. Join in and do it. Raise your hand here and do it. Because it's the Holy Spirit providing revelation, providing ministry, providing spiritual presence. Uh, it's not just about the teaching of people who are polished teachers. It's not just about the prophets that are used to prophesying. I'm all for the gifts. I'm all for honoring and recognizing those. But there is a kind of honor that can be extended to the one just venturing out with, with a you know, kind of a courageous first try. And I want us to be that kind of people. And I think that's going to also be an environment that invites the Holy Spirit to just give more and more and more of these gifts as he sees appropriate. Um, the other thing that this creates is the situation so that, because this is an intentional statement of God, God assembled the body, giving more abundant honor to those, uh, to that which is in want, so that there will be no division in the body. Now, we don't, we don't struggle a lot here with snootiness and division that way, but it's a bad problem in the church, and it's a big temptation all the time. But if one member suffers, all the members co-suffer, and... If one member is glorified, all of us are glorified. We're co-rejoicing with that. I just, again, I think this is a part that gets overlooked a lot in the pursuit of the gifts, especially when we see them as something that's going to help promote us or, or move us to a, a higher spiritual level. They might do that, but that's not their goal. And then uh, our last two, two uh, scriptures are going to be the tail end of, of 12 and the beginning of 13. So, uh, and you are the anointed's body and partial members. And God has indeed assigned persons their place in the assembly. Now he lists the ministry kind of concept. Apostles first, prophets second, teachers third, then powers, then the gracious gifts of healing, aids, governance, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all powers? Do all have graces bestowed for healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But be zealous for the greater gifts of grace. And to you, uh, and to you, I show yet a more excellent path. And that more excellent path is here in the next verse. Beginning in the first two verses of chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of human beings and of angels, but do not have love, I have become resounding brass and clanging cymbal. And if I have prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith of such a sort as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. So I just want to highlight a couple things here. And I want to tell you what I'm not saying. Um, one, uh, there at the first line, you are the anointed's body and partial members. Members, not that our membership is partial, but that we're individuals that make up the whole. Uh, God has assigned people in their places. And then the question comes, are all apostles? And the answer is no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all powers? No. Do all... Uh, have graces for healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Does that mean that we shouldn't pursue these things? No, it says that. But be zealous for the greater gifts. Uh, in 14, and the reason I don't want to study these, these things and draw conclusions without them being in the overall context of 11, 12, 13, and 14, in 13, Paul says, hey, there are times when I would rather speak uh, five words in a prophecy than 10,000 tongues, but I speak in tongues more than you all, and I wish you all spoke in tongues. So I'm not saying that that these gifts are not available because remember it's God who makes all these available in all people. But what I am saying is that let's realize that, that what the Holy spirit is 
what is the kind of thought, and it's ridiculous for me to assume I can say this, but I'm going to try it. The kind of wisdom, the kind of thought, the kind of decisions as to why gifts go here, there, and this person does this, and this person does this, and whether or not that's the kind of thing that changes over time, which I think it certainly does, it's because the whole body is designed to grow. It's because the whole of Jesus is designed to be represented. And, and I, I want us to pursue with that in mind. I want us to have that belief that, that two or three of us can stand together, function in different ways, manifest the Holy Spirit in a different way, and Jesus comes shining through that in a more complete picture for the lives of people around us. I'm excited that we've recently uh, looked at, at our meta-narrative, and we've recently looked at the gospel in different terms. These are the things that are going to make that work. Not memorizing some gospel verse, but having, giving the Spirit access through faith to us and through us in any way that the Spirit needs to work to represent Jesus. Be zealous for the greater gifts. And we just have to, you know, if I speak in tongues, but, but I don't have love. You know, it's possible to do that. And unfortunately, I've been in cultures where some of the most gifted people gave you the impression that they were the least loving. Let's not do that. But for the fear of that, let's not not pursue the gifts. Let's not have expectations that we can break out of our denominational backgrounds. We can break out of our fears. We can break out of our comfort zones. We can break out of the silliness of not understanding or the things that genuinely seem silly. You know, speaking in tongues sometimes seems really silly. Uh, prophecy seems really risky. Um, praying for the stick seems kind of risky because the noise happened, you know. But again, these aren't things that are being judged against us getting them all right. Judgment is when we don't separate out the body, when we don't fail to, to, to render one another and even if we are judged, the reason I included that little passage in 1 Corinthians 11, even if we are judged, it's just the correction of the Lord. And, and that's him fathering us. So uh, we'll obviously, I want to jump through 13 and, and 14 and get into that practical administration of this stuff in the, in the church in the context of love and power and gifts. But, uh, but that's about what I got for tonight. So since everybody's a Zoomer, Scott. Richard? Yeah. Um, could you address the, um, <laughs> the difference or whatever on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues, and the gift of tongues? Uh, sure. Um, and then you feel free to dialogue with me on it. So the phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, originally in my understanding came as a part of what john declared and who de john declared jesus to be behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and it, then he said that the one who sent me to baptize told me that he who i see the spirit sending upon and lighting he will baptize with the holy spirit so one of the things that I'd like us to have a better take on than what I've had in my past is 
the phrase and the term and the expectations surrounding the baptism in the Holy Spirit was somehow separated too much in my thinking from Jesus being the one that does the baptizing. So I, I think it's clear in scripture that the baptizer is Jesus and the sender or the promiser is the father. But I don't want to break it down and, and segregate it too much more than that. Um, so I don't have a problem at all if somebody has a traditional Pentecostal concept of the baptism of the Holy Spirit being something that, uh, that we seek, something that we expect, something we believe God for. But nor do I want to exclude the reality that if, if, the, if we have the right expectations and the right language in, in the sharing of the gospel, that that is very likely to be able to be received at the same time that a person receives Jesus. Um, and, and I think our expectation should be that way. Um, you know, sometimes it even proceeded with the situation with Cornelius and those guys. But on the other hand, the Ephesian elders, uh, have you uh, received the Holy Spirit? We don't even know there is a Holy Spirit. Well, what baptism did you believe in? Well, they believed in the baptism of repentance. And so then Paul corrected that. Um, for anybody here, one message that I hope began to come through tonight looking at these these chapters these verses is that all that the father has to give through the holy spirit all that jesus has to give through the holy spirit you can have you absolutely can have it and if you didn't get it through a pentecostal channel where it was like a second work that you tarried for and all this kind of stuff it's okay just believe now just reach out now just say lord i want to have what you have um and, you know, there's some nuances in there. Like I mentioned earlier, we'll look at it when we get into 14. Uh, obviously, or well, let's say in 13 even, Paul says, if I have the power of faith to move mountains and work miracles, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. He didn't say that to give any of us an excuse to not want power to do miracles. He wanted us to understand that everything that goes on comes from love. And I think the reason that we create a dichotomy out of that and we argue in silly ways about that between cessationists, non-cessationists, charismatics, non-charismatics is because we lose sight of the fact that every single thing, every creative act that God does flows out of love. He's not part love and part creator and part love and part judge. Whatever form judgment takes from God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, it is going to be an act of love. I guarantee it. There's no way around it. And so is the truth of these gifts. So Paul didn't say that to make love and power gifts competitive. He said it so that, you know, love is what governs the use of these gifts. But you're entitled to these things. You have a right to them now. Do we have a right to just say, I want this and I want it now? I don't know. I, I don't think things work very well that way, by <laughs> God. But sometimes that can be an expression of faith. Um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that Jesus, the Lamb of God, does, did, and does. And uh, Peter made a, a great point from Joel that this thing that happened on Pentecost, the original baptizing that Jesus was able to perform in Holy Spirit um, 
that it's available for you and for your children and for all those afar off if you believe in Jesus. So believe that Jesus wants you to have these. Believe that the Holy Spirit is utterly committed to, to, to make everything that Jesus wants to give you real in your life, and that includes all these gifts. And if you have prejudices against some of them or fear about some of them because you've seen a prophetic gift used wrongly or tongues seem strange to you or somebody put a bunch of pressure on you to try to get you to say something that didn't seem like it was spiritual or natural, I mean, uh, normal coming out of you, um, just let that stuff aside and realize that Jesus is the baptizer. The Holy Spirit desires to take every single thing that the Father's given the Son and give it to you, everything. And all these gifts, when you get into the particular places in Scripture where they're used or where they're described, they're all for edification. They're all for building you up. They're all for strengthening. Uh, when a person prays in an unknown tongue, they speak mysteries. They build themselves up. Mysteries are things that are to be revealed. So, Would that, would that be different from the gift of tongues as interpretation? Uh Gosh, I don't know. That's a good question, Richard. We used to, I mean, I used to be taught that. Um, yeah, so I'm not I, sure. It's always been a, um, well, it, it always seemed that it was different, but I, I don't know. I come to the place where, I mean, it's the same spirit. It's the same, yeah, you know, the giver. So yeah. Yeah. I, I just have never been able to distinguish whether it's a different, something different between the two, uh, speaking of tongues of angels uh, or, or, or a, a or, gift of tongues where it's interpreted. Tongues of other languages. Yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, I, don't, I don't have a good answer for that. I'm hoping that if, if we go ahead and follow through and look at, at uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 Corinthians 14, 14 is one of those practical chapters about applying these gifts. And clearly, he's talking about the gifts that he's talking about in 12, and he's talking about the gifts being administered in love that he's talking about in 13. So I think if we can get to 14, some of these practical things that have created thoughts about division or categories, uh, like the difference between just prophet, just praying in tongues and then praying in tongues with interpretation and stuff like that, maybe we'll get some clarity on that. My guess is it's going to be simpler, it's going to be more childlike, and it's going to be more accessible rather than being something that's real, highly spiritualized and highly focused. By saying that, I'm not taking away from the significance of it, but uh, I believe everybody can speak in tongues. Amen. I believe everybody always has to speak in tongues. No, I don't think so. I think that's what it means. Do all speak in tongues. Now, I, uh, you know, and I, I say that because Paul said, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, you know? Well, yeah. I, 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 I don't I don't think there's any reason for us not to think that, but I also don't think that we need to hold that up as some kind of false measuring stick of our value, our spirituality, or our contribution to the church. I just just again be open. And in essence, you're not even really being open to that gift primarily. You're being open to Jesus. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, use me, give me, you know. Uh, you, you told me about the story in your life where you were praying in tongues on a mission trip and uh, they heard you speaking in Spanish. But that's not anything you guys we can practice on. What, what are we going to do that? We're going to have a, 
a study start on Wednesday where we pr pray in other languages. That's just not how it's going to work. You know, we might in that study just start begging God saying, Lord, that is so freaking cool being like a little kid. I just want that. I think that's got more merit than trying to theologically analyze the thing to death. But I think they're available. And that's what I want us to go. I think the sky is the limit on Amen. the Holy Spirit because Jesus is the one that set the boundary. He said that the Holy Spirit is going to take everything that the Father has given me and declare it over you, disclose it to you. And the Father has given me everything. What is there that God would withhold from you if you approach him as a child in humility and in zeal and in desire? Nothing. Nothing. And that's what I want us to get to the point of. And mechanically or theologically, that's why I want to look at this because, yeah, you wrap you wrap our covenant, our communion covenant, you wrap that in the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit, in the ministries of the Holy Spirit. You encase all of that and govern all that in love. And then you apply it practically in church, in life, in work, in recreation. Literally, the world can be changed. It was changed with the men and women who did that in the first century. Yeah. We're the ones that parse it up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I know that speaking in tongues has brought revelation for me and also just encouragement and yeah. up, uh, just an uplifting in my spirit. So, yeah. So I would really encourage anybody to lay aside any fear because I guarantee you, nobody's going to be judged. Nobody is going to be judged by what your experiences have been or haven't been or what your particulars are in it. And we're going to, you know, really, really, um, work to not judge one another. Ronnie? Amen. During an earlier part of the slides, there was something about um, judgment or correction. Mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I had a beautiful picture in my mind or come to my spirit about what that looked like. It was kind of like uh, I was a kid being fathered um, and we were doing an activity together like fishing, which is really odd because I don't fish. <laughs> But that's what came to mind. And the idea of this correction was done in such a loving way. It was very beautiful. It's kind of like I was struggling trying to make a knot. And the father figure was just reaching over and said, here, this is an easy way to help you remember how to make this knot. And it was, it was a teaching. It was helping me learn. And it was correcting what I was trying to do. But it was mm -hmm. done in such a way that it was like really helpful. Yeah. And of necessity, it was pointing out that the way you were tying the knot before wasn't right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like making a square knot instead of a granny knot, if you know what that is. See, may maybe as it applies to the question Richard asked, and we talked about just a second ago, can we get to feeling safe to say, Father, judge my, judge my attitude about the gifts, judge my expectations of the gifts because I know you're only going to do them for correction's sake. And I know that everything that you have, you want me to have, and you want to give it to me appropriately because you know that I might be the right one for this and not the right one for this. That's okay. But if we can start thinking of judgment like that, coming from the hands of a father to correct and to cause us to grow, I, I really think it's unstoppable what, what God can do in our lives, in our yeah, families and, build, and in our church. 
built into it was the idea that this wasn't um, hard to take. It was like helpful. Yep. Excellent. Vicki? Yeah. Um, something I was thinking about when, when you and Richard were talking about the speaking in tongue, tongues dynamic, you know, there's so many gifts that we, we have, you know, apostles, prophet, prophecy, all of that administrations, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think if, if, if we know what our gifting is, if we were to walk in that with the surety of, of what you, of what you were talking about earlier in those scriptures about being part of the body, our members being part of the body and being able to exhibit or um, put on display those gifts um, and for the body to be able to see them and rejoice in them because it wouldn't just be like your gift of teaching uh, isn't just your gift of teaching. You Mm -hmm. teach to us, you know, Um, somebody's gift of prophecy isn't, it's their gift, but it's a gift to the body. And I think that the dynamic with speaking in tongues that I, I feel like has happened over, you know, the last hundred years or whatever is that it was esteemed so much higher than anything else. And the correction of that was for the church to start saying, well, it's not important or, you know, it's for application or whatever. And I, I, I just wonder if, if something gets super emphasized you know, uh, that, that there's a, um, I don't know, a manifestation of competitiveness that comes into the body of Christ that was never meant to be. So yeah. do you all speak in tongues? No. Do all prophesy? No. But all of those are gifts given to the body of Christ. And the beauty of it is that when, when somebody like Jen prays for healing for somebody, we should rejoice in that phenomenon of who Jin is in the body of Christ. When Larry teaches or when, you know, Laurel sings or Becky plays the piano. The, the, I don't know. It feels like there's a, there's something that God really wants to impart to us that makes us the body. Mm-hmm. And, and, just showing us how beautiful the body is because the body of Christ is the bride of Christ. And we will have that, that season where we are without spot or wrinkle. Yeah. I don't know. I just, sorry. I'm just in my room by myself. Just like freaking out over all of this thinking It's just such a beautiful, beautiful concept, you know? Anyway. <laughs> Remember at the end of that little section where Paul talks about, if one member suffers, all members suffer. If one member uh, uh, is glorified, everybody rejoices together. Yeah. Um, Becky and I had a little instance today. She is reading a book by a, a teacher talking about some things that, that uh, Trinity that, that I've talked about. And she, she texted me and asked if, if I had read this guy. And I said, no, but I look forward to it. And she got all excited. Like, oh, wow, that's cool. Because he's saying something. So his teaching gift became a part of your experience 
and the fact that it it kind of corresponds with me. So these things are weaving together. I think we have a lot of room for our expectation to grow in that relationship. And, and then I also think that people are going to be surprised at how the Holy Spirit is willing to use them. Again, because we don't want to put these people on a pedestal. We don't want to put these gifts on a pedestal. Uh, it's a relational thing. And uh, as Dan pointed out in, uh, in earlier in chapter 11, one of the problems that Paul was rebuking is that there are divisions among them. And uh, in other places, you know, he said, if a poor man comes in, you shouldn't treat him differently than a rich man who's sitting there. And we've got a good head start, I think, on not thinking that way. But I believe there's more. I believe there's more. Yeah, Becky. Yeah, one of the things I was reading in this book that you were just talking about today was that um, with love being the motive from God, he is never he's never. Uh, his love pours out. And so he says, as we um, accept that love, and of course there's a bunch that goes with that, but when we start looking at ourselves, that's love gone awry, that's self-love. But as we keep our love pouring out into others, then that's where, that's true love. That's God's love that's pouring mm-hmm. through us. So as we think about gifts for the edification of the body, it's like what you're just saying. Like as we just do what we're doing because we're so in love with God and we're just manifesting God. And it just needs to be done. And it's a cool thing for it to be done. Yeah. Yeah. We're not paying attention to, Oh, I have this gift. Oh, Mm -hmm. you know, like as soon as we start to do that, that's where the divisions come in. Or the reverse part. Oh, I don't have this gift. That's where I think uh, Richard's question is, is really an important one. Don't allow yourself to get, prejudice against what God's willing to do in your life. Just believe that it's, that it's for you. Absolutely. And again, if we frame it in love, if we receive it in love, if we think about it in love, if we extend love and grace and all this kind of stuff, that's why I wanted you to see that heart translated it graces. That's charisma, charisma. It doesn't, it's okay. It's a legitimate translation of that word. Grace is grace. When you give grace to somebody, you make room, like you say, for these things to be governed in love. And there is grace, grace, grace to each of us. Alan? Yeah, I agree with Becky completely because that's it, it, it's, it's this balance that we need to grasp hold of is being happy with who we're created to be and walking in that and not, and not trying to compare ourselves with how we do it compared to others. But there's also that thing of, of um, not looking at others and saying, oh, I've got so far to go. If you get what I mean, just being, mm-hmm. it, it, get rid of the comparison. It's, get, it's getting rid of the comparisons and embracing the body as we're all just a part of this. And it's such an amazing, so when, and it goes on to say, you know, I know when, 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 when someone, as you were saying, when someone rejoices, someone does good, rejoice because it's the body. It's been a part of this mm-hmm. amazing body of Christ, this family of, of, of Christ that, that we have. And we can rejoice if someone does well and we can encourage others to be the people they're designed to be. Amen. Amen. And, you know, I, if, we, if, we are, if we remain open I just think that some of these gifts are not going to be as 
technically complicated to participate in. So for instance, take the idea of being given a word of knowledge. If you in love are just really valuing uh, a clerk at a store you're at or something like that, that puts you in a position where the Holy Spirit can put a thought in your head or words in your mouth. It could change that person's life. And it won't seem super spiritual. It won't seem like a gift of the Spirit. It'll be like an idea that popped in your head and you go, wow, you know, in response to something they were saying, um, Richard and I were, were uh, talking at breakfast the other day and he reminded me of a, a, a well, a little, one of the gals that has worked there for a while and now she's cooking. She came out just to say good morning to us because she doesn't get to see us too often. And I remember the Thursday morning where Richard just took the time to just sincerely look her in the eye and say, how are you doing? And she teared up and was having trouble with her baby and having trouble with timing and all that kind of stuff. And there's no question in my mind that the Holy Spirit ministered to her and created an edifying situation to the extent that she remembered it months later and came out and saw us because she hadn't been able to see us in a while. That's how the kingdom moves forward. That's what Jesus did. Although he had some of the more spectacular stuff too. I get it. And, and, and maybe... Maybe we are opening the door to that by just being simple and, and doing like this. Larry? Yes. yes. One of the statements that you made is what we were kind of taught and I've seen in operation, and that's all of the gifts are available at any time at our disposal when the need is there, you know, and, and people particularly forget that a lot of times that's even in family situations where sure. we need some of those gifts in operation. And that might be our very first and most foremost ministry is to our own family. And yeah. so uh, we were just taught that all of these gifts are available. Nobody has any special calling on them. Use them as God puts them at your disposal. Mm-hmm. Create expectation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Paul does say earnestly desire greater gifts. Now, we probably have to learn how to discern the greater gifts. Um, and I don't, again, I don't think that that's designed to make us enumerate them and compare them and, and then ridicule one over another. It's just maybe the greater gift, like you say, Tim, is the one that's needed at that moment. Um, I really loved the part that said that, in the first Corinthians uh, 12, I think it was that the gifts are not for the individual, but for the body. That was just, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that's what we're all saying. And I just think that's a more beautiful way of looking at the gifts. Yeah. And yeah, it, it helps us kind of think it helps us not come under the accusation of the enemy. What are you, are you holier than thou? Are you trying to do something like that? No, I'm just trying to do my part in Jesus. That's all. Yeah. And I, why didn't we see that before? You know, mm-hmm. I guess we're not paying close enough attention. <laughs> well, some it's because guys like but, me didn't teach it before. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. It, it's always thank, been there. You know, thankfully. I didn't show you anything that wouldn't in print for a long time tonight. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, thank you for digging in. It's good. Yeah, It's awesome. It's awesome. Also, I noticed um, it says that, oh, where was it? Um, I got my Bible here. Something about to, for all and everyone. Yeah. And uh, it just seems very inclusive. It and sure that, does. It yeah, I think that reinforced what Tim was saying. It's not saying for all believers. 
and saying for all and everyone. That, yeah, that's we'll have to talk about that more. Yeah, there yep. you go. <laughs> that's it does make day. me think. I mean, do I think that, for instance, those doctors that brought all that learning and talent and passion together for Laurel, I understand there was a lot of it from what I heard earlier. Do go. I think that Holy Spirit had nothing to do with that? That's ridiculous to think. Mm-hmm. You know, it's ridiculous to think. That's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. We all have anyway. we all have gifts. Yes. Yeah, I believe so. Unless we have one of the weirdest freaky long snowstorms in Colorado history, we'll probably be able to get together and see one another off the Green Mountain Falls next week. But thank you guys for being here. It's awesome. Yeah. God bless everybody. Wonderful seeing y'all. God bless you. Good night. Love you all. Thank you. Love you too. Bye. 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 Blessings.